0: We're glad that you are here. Uh, This is one of my favorite days of the year, and uh, it's because it's tailgate Sunday party day for us here at The Journey, minus all the tailgating, right? And um, we're like on plan D for today, so um, we're hoping by the end of the service, we're either going to be out there, outside, or we might be in here. So uh, just, just stay with us. All I can tell you is that our team has worked endlessly to make this a fun day no matter what happens, and so we're hoping that we can still go outside. But if not, uh, we've got a plan in place, and we'll tell you exactly what that's going to look like. But, but part of the reason that I love this day is because this is a day where you figure out the people that you're really going to like at the journey <laughs> and the people you're really going to hate, Right. In fact, during the first service, brand new family walks in, sees me like, we're never coming back to this church. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's fine. That's between you and, and Jesus, right? Um, but, uh, but I love this day because, again, we wear jerseys. We, we show the teams that, that we, we love. But, but the other piece to me is this means it's the beginning of football season, right? Yeah. Are you ready for some football? Yeah. Three of you. Good. That's great. Not the church I thought that I was leading here. But um, I love this time of year. Uh, college football started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, NFL really kicks off today. Um, and, uh, and, and the thing I love about this is that for some of you, you're not going to see your spouse on the weekends for the next five months, are you? And a few of you are like, that's okay, I'm good with that. Um, there's others of you, you're going to come on a Sunday morning and you're going to be on your phone the whole time because you have a fantasy football team or like six of them. And um, you actually think you run a real football team. And so you're so engaged with that, you don't know how to separate that. And we have counselors, we can help you through that and get you to a, a better place in, in your life. But, but if you if you love sports, but if you love football specifically, the, the thing about it is right now, no matter how terrible your team might be, like you think that you can still vie for a championship this year, right? There's there's still this hope that that you have in this moment that maybe even though everybody says our team is terrible, maybe this is our year. And so you you, you do this and you celebrate and and you wish this and you have this hope like so many others for your particular team. For for example, today uh, at FedEx Field, it is a a sellout crowd for that game. It hasn't sold out in, in years which uh, I didn't know there were that many Arizona Cardinal fans here in this area. Did you guys know that? (laughs) Had no clue, but there must be a bunch. But it's a sellout. And, uh, and I know people are going to be there, and they're going to be wearing their, their their commanders gear, their Washington gear, and um, they're going to be singing that song. I still can't understand "Left Hand Up," I don't really understand that. But they're going to be singing that song. Like two of you understand what I'm talking about there. But um, but they're going to be talking about the past and the great teams from the past, and you know how these last couple of decades have been really bad. And now there's new ownership, and and maybe this year's the year. and We've got you know a good offensive line and good defense, and. Let's see what happens with our, with our quarterback and what's the future going to look like. And, and everybody's just kind of together, right? Like, this is great. This is wonderful. And you're all together. You're cheering for a team. You have this hope for a team. And there's this, this bond. There's this bond that's there, and it brings you together in that setting. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue this series called Welcome. Uh, last week, as we began this series, I told you that you and I we were created to be in relationship with other people. but, but this week I want to talk about this idea of us being together. What, what togetherness really looks like within the church? Now we're going to spend our time today in the book of Hebrews and uh, that's in the New Testament. It's, uh, it's actually not a book, it's a letter that was written probably around 70 AD. Um, it was written to a church uh, more than likely in Rome. And um, we don't know who the author was. I know a lot of us grew up like it's Paul, but scholars like it wasn't Paul, it was somebody else. That doesn't make any difference here. Um, It's what the letter says that's so important. Now the audience for this particular letter, uh, they feel like based on what we read throughout this this letter is uh, geared toward a very intelligent group of people, a very scholarly group of people. And, uh, And so this is who this letter is written to. And based on the reading, we know that the writer actually knows a lot about those people. Uh, The the writer knows that they've been abused for their faith, knows that they've struggled with their faith, knows that property has been taken away from them because of their beliefs. Uh, They also know that, um, that this group of people is very generous with what they have. But the biggest issue that, that you find if you, if you read through this letter to the Hebrews is they have this trying to, trying to really disconnect themselves from their Jewishness, from their Jewish background, from their Jewish teachings, and they're, they're trying to figure out how, how Jesus fits in all this. And, and, and I think if you kind of say, hey, here's the main point of Hebrews, it's that Jesus changes everything. And so we're going to kind of take that and, and talk about that, but we're going to look at a, a specific passage In Hebrews chapter 10 and we're going to start in verse 19 here's what it says and so dear brothers and sisters we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus by his death Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place Well, if you go back and you start reading Hebrews chapter 10, you're going to find that the very first part of it, the writer is talking through some of the uh, religious sacrificial system and rhythms that were a part of the Jewish faith. But here in verse 19, the writer gets very specific uh, about one particular day. Um, It was known as or still is known as Yom Kippur. Uh, This is the Jewish uh, people's most holy day of the year. And in those days, the high priest would go into the temple and go specifically to what was known as the Holy of Holies. Uh, The writer here says the most holy place. Would go into this one space. The high priest was the only person who could go in this space, and the high priest could only do this one time of year, and that was on Yom Kippur. And so the priest would go in there, the high priest would go in there and make a sacrifice for all of Israel. And that sacrifice was to cover all all the sins of israel for that past year now the theology behind this the theology behind uh, judaism at this point was that the high priest was the only person who could connect with god that no one else could could do what the high priest could do no one else could be the connection point between god and them so there was this barrier that, that was there between god and humanity But we have the writer here who who says, now now Jesus has come, right? And and Jesus has broken those rules. Jesus has taken away that barrier. There's not a barrier anymore between God and humanity because of Jesus. Because what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus became that ultimate sacrifice for all humanity. So now, all of humans, all of us, we, we get this opportunity to connect with God, and we don't need that high priest in that position anymore. Well, the writer continues on in verse 21. says, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trust in him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So here the writer says, Hey, Jesus... Has taken the place of the high priest. And because Jesus is taking the place of the high priest, and because you say that you're a follower of Jesus, and because you have taken this step of faith and being baptized, like you can be confident that barrier is gone. You you can be confident that now you can have a conversation that you can connect with God. And again, you don't need a high priest to do that for you because of Christ. Verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now remember what I said, this was written around 70 AD, so this uh, thing about following Jesus was relatively new. And so you have this group of, of, of people that are very much like the, the Jewish Christians we find in Acts. Like they're, they're still trying to figure out who they are, right? They're, they're still kind of stuck in, in their, their past. Uh, some of them grew up Jewish. Others of them became Jewish later on in life. And, and so now you've got this thing about following Jesus. And so they're, they're looking at this like, what are we supposed to continue to do? And uh, what are we supposed to stop doing? Like, do we keep doing Jewish practices? Do we keep following Jewish ideals? Do we live by Jewish laws? And here the writer's like, hey, it's time to give that past up. It's time for you to move beyond what you've known, your life. Now it's time to focus on Jesus. And the writer right here is like, all those promises that God made that you know and learned about in the Old Testament, all those those prophecies that that are so familiar to you, those are now, they've they've come to fruition through Jesus. And so basically the writer is like, hey, give up your Jewish ways, but don't give up on Jesus. And so we we have this this person who's writing Hebrews, really, Really talking about, hey, here's some things for you to think through to, to begin to change in, in your life. And, and quite a bit of this is, is kind of about, about them, right? It's about what they're going through and what they're thinking. But, but then the writer changes things up and begins to take this into another realm. And really their social responsibility now that they know who they are in, in Christ. Verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. If you were here last week, I shared with you that in the New Testament, there are 100 times in 94 verses where we read the phrase, one another. And 47 of those times, they are direct instructions that are given to followers of Christ to live out in their life with other followers of of Christ. We put some of those up on the screen. Here's some more of them. Forgive one another, accept one another, care for one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, love one another, serve one another, restore one another, carry each other's burdens, pray for one another. And then this verse here in 24 says, motivate one another. That word motivate actually has a dual meaning uh, here in this particular passage. And, And in fact, if you read through the letter to the Hebrews, there's quite a few moments that, that there's words or phrases that are used that the writer intentionally puts in there because they have a dual meaning. And again, I think that's why we understand this was written to a more scholarly group. Not, not that the rest of us can't figure it out, right? But, um, but there was something behind the, the language that's used here. And so right here, again, it says, motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And so one meaning behind this when it comes to motivating one another, is to encourage, to help, to serve, to care for one another, to to love each other through your actions towards one another. And so it's all about love, right? This motivation is about love. Um, I think this takes us back to a conversation where Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus' response is, here's what you need to do. You need to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. But it doesn't stop there, right? And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there were 613 laws and commandments that the Jewish people were required to follow. And Jesus just says, love God and love people. you're like, well, that's, that's not a whole lot of commandments that we're supposed to follow. Why would God, or Why would Jesus say that? Well, it's pretty simple. Jesus is like, hey, if you love God with all your heart, soul, and strength— and you love your neighbor as yourself, do you know what that's going to encompass? All of those other laws. And so for you, it's important to love God and to love people. And so, so when Jesus says, love your neighbor, and then we go back here to verse 24, and it says, motivate one another. Loving someone means when they need encouragement, you encourage them. Loving someone means that when they need to be cared for, you care for them. Loving someone means when they're hurting, like you stop, and you listen, and you support them. That's what loving your neighbor is all about. And and so when we see that word motivate one another, that's one meaning that the writer intends. But there's another one. There's a secondary meaning here. Uh, but depending on the translation, maybe you've read of this scripture here, it may say provoke, it may say spur, it may say stir up. The actual Greek word is incitement. And, and I know when I say, hey, pray for one another, encourage one another, care for one another, some of you do use tune now, don't you? And then I say provoke and stir and incite, and you're like, that's my spiritual gift, you got it. And you live your life that way. Let me just tell you, that's not, spiritual, that's not a spiritual gift, okay? You think it is, but I promise you, it, it is not. Here's what this means. It means when someone is hurting themselves because they're making poor life decisions, like pulling for the commanders, you are there to save them, right? You're there to help them and change them. Now, what it really means, I heard that, is loving one another just doesn't happen. The loving one another means you work at it. And sometimes it even means that you provoke other people. And what I mean is you provoke them to think about the decisions that they are making, the actions that they are taking, the words that they are saying. Oh, by the way, the things that they are posting on social media. Like you challenge them in good and healthy ways. But let me be very specific here, because I think this is important, that you do this in the context of the church, okay? It doesn't mean that after today, after our party, you go to the uh, Target over here at Springfield Town Center, and you're like, hey, I'm going to provoke you because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you don't know that person. That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about it in the context of the church. And even to take that a step further, that we mean that, or the, the, the writer here means that, in the context of, of deep connections and relationships with other people. People and so, as you kind of think about what we've just read here, these verses—they're a reminder to us that that barrier is gone. Right? That barrier is gone because of the gift God sent in Jesus. And Jesus came to be that sacrifice, not just for the Jewish people, but for all of humanity. And because of this gift, and and God showed uh, His love for us through this gift, we are called to love God, and we're called to love God through through Jesus. Which means now. We live this out in our lives, and we do this by working together and supporting one another and encouraging one another and motivating one another and spurring each other along. But he doesn't finish up there. He takes it a step further in chapter or verse 25. The writer says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Some people do, but encourage one another. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Maybe you grew up in a, in a church environment where they taught you that, um, you know, my faith is, is personal. My, my faith is about my relationship with Jesus. And maybe you've even heard people say this, and I know I've heard it quite often I don't need the church to be a Christian. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, None of those are theologically sound. Um, that, that as you, you think about that, we don't, we don't read that in Scripture. Jesus never teaches that. Jesus doesn't live his life that way. When we look at the letters that, that Paul wrote, and we look at this letter here to the Hebrews, we, we don't find that that's a part of, of that. And it's, it's something that I, I think we're are falsely kind of taught as we, we grow up and as we grow in our faith. But because our our faith life, it exists within the context of our relationship to God through Jesus. But we also have to understand it exists within the framework of this thing we call the church. That you and I, we function best when we're in relationship with other people. And that's not just in the church. Uh, a few years back, Gallup did a survey and did some research on relationships with, in the work world. And what they found as they were doing this survey with employees, that two out of ten people said that they strongly agreed that they had a best friend at work. Now, as Gallup was going through this, something that they, they realized is that if you were to tweak that number, if you were to see six out of ten people had a best friend at work, here's what organizations would see. 36% fewer safety incidents, 7% more engaged customers, and a 12% higher profit. Their conclusion at the end of this was that when people feel like they belong to something and when there's engagement where they work with other people and there's close relationships, that organization becomes a safer place to work, it becomes a more productive place to work, and oh, by the way, the organization actually gets richer through all of this. But why? It's because there's a connection. It's because there's a relationship. It's because there's a bond between other people that you work with. I mean, Gallup didn't just find this out. I mean, Aristotle actually knew this. And politics, Aristotle writes, man is by nature a social animal. Anyone who either cannot lead the common life or is so self-sufficient as not to need to and therefore does not partake of society is either a beast or a god. So if we look at this research that Gallup did, and we see that relationships with other people in our work world are important to our work. If a philosopher like Aristotle looks around and says, hey, you need relationships or you're a beast. And then we read this letter here to the Hebrews where where the writer says, hey, you need to make sure you are gathering together there may be those of us who say that we are followers of of Jesus can begin to live out our faith and put those actions into place in this thing that we call the church. If we go back to the audience of Hebrews, scholars believe this may have been a uh, splinter group from a larger church there in the area of rome and uh, could have been various reasons one it could have been that this church just needed to multiply they didn't have space anymore and so they were like hey you know we send these people off and you live over there go do that uh, it could have been that they were at this place like hey you know what <laughs> we can do church better you know we, we got better teaching we can do better singing we have better kids classes and so we're gonna we're just gonna go do our own thing and, and maybe that's the case um, I'm going to go with number three because this was a, a scholarly group of people. I, I think they were probably like, hey, we're not getting fed here at this church. And so we're going to go feed ourselves and go do our own thing, which, again, that's a whole sermon series in, in itself. And, uh, and I, I'm guessing that this is probably more in line with that here. But the writer goes to this group, whatever may have been the case, and says, look, you are neglecting. Some of you there, you're neglecting your time together. And for this writer, that was a serious problem. It was a serious issue. It was a weakness in their lives. It was a weakness in their faith. And the writer's like, I'm sorry, but you can't separate the two. You, You can't separate your faith from living it out within the church body. Again, you have to do this together. And for this writer, it wasn't about control. It wasn't about power over people. It was so the church body could live out these one another's with each other to care for to stir to pray to help to provoke to motivate like you can't do those things alone the practice and the context of the church but i think there's one other piece to this for the writer and it's that if we isolate from people we will isolate from god like, like, It's not just that you, you go and do this alone, but when you start to do it alone, you actually step away from, from God. You step away from that connection to, to Jesus. Uh, I, I've been in ministry for 25 years. I grew up a PK. My, my dad was a pastor since the basically the day I was born, and so my, my whole life has been in the ministry world, and so I've had um, many ministry friends, and of course still do, but um, there have been quite a few instances where friends of mine have, have moved on from, from ministry. And uh, various reasons, uh, worn out, burnout, just tired, not having good boundaries in place. Uh, maybe it was the pay or, or benefits, and they felt like they could they'd do better in, in the, uh, the world outside of ministry. Uh, for quite a few, it was relationally related, that they had really good, close friendships with people in their church went on vacations with them and um, I thought there was a a good relationship there and then one day they said something up from on stage and a good friend would say hey can you help me understand but these people were like no um, we don't agree with what you said we don't want to be friends with you anymore we're leaving this church and you kind of understand why sometimes people get out of the ministry not to mention COVID mask and an election all right (laughs) So it's kind of understandable, and I kind of get why people have stepped out of of ministry. But one of the things that really bothered me about this is um, that the, these families would step out of ministry, and um, they'd be like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna take a break from church." And I'll be honest, that that makes sense to me—rest a little bit, Sabbath a little bit. Um, but but then you know you probably should jump back in at some point. But too often. As I've watched, uh, these individuals, these families, haven't gone back to church. And not only that, but but now in in their life, they don't have those relationships with with people within the church setting. They don't have people that are in their lives that are following Jesus. And, And even a step further, I've seen this too often, that these people step away from Jesus. Maybe... That's part of your story. Maybe at some point you left the church saying, I don't like the church. There's too many hypocrites. Too many people that think they're perfect. The only thing the church wants is my money. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to leave the church because I don't need the church. It's just going to be me and Jesus. We're going to do this alone. But here's what I will tell you. If you took those steps in your life, and again, maybe some of you have done this, You've gotten to a place where you've stepped away from the church, you've stepped away from other followers of Christ, and I bet you've stepped away from Jesus too. Now, thankfully, something has happened, and you're here in this place. And you're like, I- I'm going to give the, the church a-, a second try. We, we love that. We, we want to be that kind of church here at The Journey. But-, but let me agree with you. You'd be right about the church. Because in the church, there are a lot of hypocrites. And in the church, there's a lot of people who think they've got it all figured out and are perfect. And in the church, we do want your money. And so you can Venmo us at Journey Nova. (laughs) Make sure you do that. I'm not really sort of maybe kidding there. But, But can I tell you why you're right about that? Because you're not really any different. And can I tell you why else you're right about that? Because I can be a hypocrite often, too. And there are times where I feel like I've got it all figured out and some other person doesn't because we're a bunch of imperfect people. And some of you, you can say, yep, I'm a hypocrite and I think I've got it figured out in my life too. But here's the deal. I think for many of us, you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to follow Jesus. And it's not really that easy. And you can't do it alone. You have to do it together. You have to be in relationship with other people. We are called to love God and to love people. And we do those within the setting of the church, that we are putting our faith into action in this place. Faith is not to be lived in isolation. It's lived to be in relationship with other people. And the best way we do this is in circles. We don't do this very well in rows. We do this in circles. You're like, what do you mean? I want you to just kind of look around real quick. All of you came before the tailgate party. It's packed in here. Look around, right? We got a bunch of rows in here. We even got rows back in the corner, rows upon rows in, in this place. But that's what Sundays usually are, right? You come on a Sunday and someone comes up here and, and we, we sing together and, and we do some announcements and then uh, somebody comes up here and speaks and then we do communion together. And hopefully through what you experience on a Sunday morning, you get some truths. You, you get some principles. You get some next steps that you can take in your life. And, and maybe in this setting, you are provoked a little bit. You, you are spurred along. You are motivated. But that happens in rows. But when we meet in smaller groups, when we meet in, in circles, it's a much different experience. We host a a group at our home, and um, like if you come into our house, uh, unless the weather's really nice, we'll go out on the back porch, but if it's raining, or it's cold, or it's too hot, whatever the case may be, depending on what season it might be here, um, we'll meet in our living room, and uh, we got a sectional seat, chairs, or a sofa in there, and then then we bring in chairs, and we we make a circle, right? When you show up at our house, it's not like you've got the sofa, and then we start putting rows there, and then somebody steps up in front of everybody and teaches, and if you go to one of our groups and that's what you experience, we need to know ASAP, okay? Because that is not how this is supposed to function. Now, we, we have these circles set up so that we can see each other. Right now, look in front of you. You see the back of somebody's head, right? Or maybe you look over them. Maybe you can't see anything. I don't know what the case may be for you, but, but you see people's faces. You see their emotions. You get to hear their words, and that's the power of meeting together in circles. And so let me share with you why we think circles are so important here. First off, circles are where we put truths from Sundays into practice. That what we hear on a Sunday in a setting like this, we get to put that into practice within our one another's, within this group setting. We, we can't do that well, very well in, in this setting here, right? Now we can do it a little bit But it's really when we are in this this smaller group of people that we are able to live out these one another's together. That we can live out those truths and principles and next steps that we talk about on a Sunday. In fact, this year, this is the first year we've done this, uh, all of our neighborhood groups are going to be doing sermon-based material. Here's what that means. When you show up on a Sunday morning and you listen to the message, you're going to talk about that that week in your group. So, for instance, for our group come on a Sunday morning, and then we meet on Sunday afternoons. You show up. We're going to talk about the message from that morning. Now, I got to tell you, I love this, and the reason is my kids used to say, hey, Dad, are you just going to wing it on Sundays when you preach? I'm like, bro, nobody wants that mess, and um, so like we spend, when you, you speak, you spend a lot of hours working on your material and, and putting it together. Like last week's message, uh, I gave to Joel, and I was like, hey, Joel, give me some feedback, and Joel's like, this is like 14 different messages here. And um, so I had like nine drafts of last week's message. took forever. And so then it's just kind of like, hey, I gave the message, and it's gone, right? We, we want to go a little further. We, we, we want to be able to say, hey, we feel like this is so important that we've spent this time putting this together, and, and now we want you to take the time to talk about it within your groups. And so we really get to put into practice those principles and truths and next steps that we talk about on a Sunday. And so that's why circles are important. But the second thing I would say is that circles are the place stories are shared. I, uh, I grew up in a very small town in uh, North Carolina, just a little bit north of Winston-Salem, uh, called King, North Carolina. Like, literally, that's the name of the town. Uh, if you're f- familiar with Pilot Mountain, you can see Pilot Mountain from where this town is located. And um, this is a town uh, where everybody knew everybody, right? Some of you grew up in towns like that. And um, not only did they they know you and you knew them, but they knew your stories and they knew who you were. Um, It was kind of funny when uh, our kids, a few years back, we'd take them to go visit my parents and we'd go hang out and we'd go to eat somewhere. And uh, we'd leave and our kids were like, Dad, are like, Nana and Papa, the mayors of this town? Because everywhere they go, people just talk to them. I'm like, no, it's a small town. And if you grew up in a small town, you know there's some good things about that, right? And some terrible things because they know your story, and you know their story. Outsiders would come in, and uh, if you were there in town, like, you would know the outsiders pretty quickly. Again, if you grew up in that, you understand this. And, uh, and they'd stop and like, y'all ain't from around here, are you? Where are y'all from? And a lot of times people just run because they were afraid they didn't know what they had just gotten into. But, but the reality is they were just trying to meet. They were just trying to know, like, hey, your voice doesn't sound like my voice. Believe it or not, I used to have a really thick southern accent. And every once in a while it would pop up, but thankfully I had some kids in New Jersey I was working with that used to make fun of me all the time, so that kind of changed. But, um, but man, when, you, when you're there and your accent is different, people know. And part of it is because they know the people that are there. They know the stories are there. And yet here we live in a place, as I talked about last week, that is full of lonely people. We are the number one region in the United States for loneliness. And we are lonely and we don't know people because we're not from here, right? And in fact, here's what I want you to do. I love doing this. I want you to raise your hands if you grew up here, when I mean Northern Virginia, Maybe D.C., just a little piece of Maryland there. We'll keep a little bit of the Maryland area. Um, But if you grew up here, would you raise your hand right now? Yeah, we're not from here, are we? (laughs) We're from California. We're from Puerto Rico. We're from Great Britain. We're from Africa. We're from Oregon. We're from Oklahoma. We're from King, North Carolina. And you know what all of us bring together? We bring our stories we, we bring our life lessons, we bring our experiences, we bring our struggles, we bring our celebrations. And in these circles, we get to share our stories and we get to hear the stories of others. And who knows, maybe the people that are in your group right now, that you get to hear their story and you get to be a part of their life. They may end up being your friends for a lifetime. And so circles are a place that we share our stories and then lastly, I would say circles are where transformation takes place. Uh, back in 92, uh, this church, that had a different name at the time, actually birthed a daughter church up in Chantilly, Virginia, that's still there, New Life Christian Church, doing very, very well. And um, from 2005 to 2010, I actually worked at New Life, uh, we moved down here from New Jersey. I came to launch and oversee and lead the third campus that they were starting that was out in Haymarket. We met at Battlefield High School. And, um, and in our time there, um, Kara and I led a group. And actually, Kara led two groups. She led a women's group that like grew to 30 and multiplied multiple times. Uh, but, um, but we led a group together on Wednesday nights. And... Um, let me tell you, that was really hard for us. I know some of you are like, I can't do it. This is really hard for, for me and my family. Um, we, were, we were married, of course, but we had three small kids. In fact, one of them, Jake, was born in 07 when we were here, born at Fair Oaks. And um, so we had three really small kids. Our group met at 7 p.m., which for us, that meant bedtime for our kids. And so we have all these people that are coming over, and we're trying to put our kids to bed. And we're tired. We're worn out. There were nights that we were hoping nobody showed up. I'm not going to lie. i like, please, nobody show up. And we would pray that, even though it seemed like. Like, please, nobody show up, because we just want to rest. And, of course, that would be, you know, where everybody would show up. But, uh, but this, this group was different. Um, there were 22 of them that met in our house every single Wednesday. And here's Kara and I. We're, we're relatively young, and we got these three small kids. They were all young professionals. Most of them were single. A few of them were dating Uh, A couple of them were married. So in a totally different world than than we were in. And uh, to the point of, like, they didn't know when they were supposed to go home. (laughs) I'm sorry, you got to go home. We got to sleep. But we loved this group, and it was an amazing group. It was an incredible experience for us, and they kept coming, and kept coming. And for about three and a half years, we led this group. One Sunday afternoon after church... At the Hampton End Pool there in Gainesville, we baptized 14 of those 22 people. And I can tell you, it wasn't because we were great teachers, because we were tired. It was because transformation takes place in these circles. Look, you're going to get something on Sunday mornings. I hope there's something you can take away with you. Sometimes you guys, you've been around, and you you'll tell me something I said five years ago. I'm like, that's great. I don't even remember that. But that's wonderful, and that's good because it's done something for you. But but real change and transformation is going to happen inside those circles. And so that's why here at The Journey, we invite you to be in a circle we, we invite you to jump in. I can tell you, we don't do that because we're trying to reach some number, that we have some goal in place, that 100% of our people in groups, I don't care about that. I want to see life change happen. I want to see transformation happen for you, and I still want to see it in my life. And that's not going to happen very often in rows. But it will happen over and over again in circles. And so we invite you to jump into a circle. If you've got our app, the Church Center app, you can touch groups at the bottom. And then you're going to see neighborhood groups that are going to pop up or affinity groups. Affinity groups are groups that are very specific to a very specific group. You can join one of those groups. We'd love for you to do that. But we'd really love for you to get into a neighborhood group to be around people that that are living in your area. And and so we invite you to jump in and to pick one of those. And uh, your leader of that group will contact you and let you into that group. Uh, You can stop by the tent outside as we leave today. It's out on the patio on your right. Uh, We've got group leaders and staff that will be there to answer any questions you may have. There's a QR code there. You can fill that out and answer through that. We know that life transformation doesn't happen when you're trying to do this faith thing alone, and you can't. It only happens when we do this together, when we do this in circles. And we know circles are important because when we think about Jesus, what did Jesus have? Jesus had a circle. Jesus had these 12 disciples that he spent over three years with and invested in and all this time. And there's that one circle they have, the Last Supper, right? We know it's the Last Supper. And they're sitting around this table, and Jesus says to his team that's there, to the circle, says, Here's the deal. I want you to eat this bread. And I want you to drink this cup to remember me, to remember me. And, and as I think about that, and as I think about this community we take together, and then I, I think about that circle, right? That group of guys, except for one, was changed and transformed. Like Jesus is gone a, a, a few days later, and, uh, and yet they still keep living out his mission here on this earth. And you and I, we're, we're here today because of that circle and so when I think about circles I think about what kind of transformation will happen in our lives and not just in our lives but for generations to come because we've taken the time to do this thing called life together